Green-Eyed Monster is the title of this message. Many years ago, there were two men that were in a small, isolated room in a large hospital, and uh, they both had severe breathing problems, and they, they, they had to be kept quiet. Instead of putting them in the ward, they put them in this room. Anybody in here remember being in a ward in a hospital? Is anybody that old? I was in the children's ward in Union one time, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a noisy, crazy place, actually. But they were, they were in there, and they were grateful to be in there, away from prying eyes and in the quietness. Well, they'd lay and talk for hours. They, they talked about their families. They, they talked about what they did in the war, where they'd been on vacation, the jobs that they'd held. It's the only thing that they had to pass their time. But one hour a day, that one man next to the window was allowed to set up and look out this window. And he'd look out this window, and during that hour, he would explain what he saw. It was a park. Uh, there was a lake. There were children playing, people walking dogs, young lovers strolling hand in hand, just uh, great scenes, ducks on the water and, and airplanes in the sky and, and on and on. And um, one day, he, he sat up, and he described this parade. And this man that had laid beside him all this time looked forward to those days to see what was going on in the world. But on this one certain day, after this guy was talking, something happened to the man that wasn't by the window. And he got to thank him. Man, why should that guy get to lay by the window? Why does he get to look out in the world and I have to lay over here? And he felt ashamed, but it, it, it started to, to work on him. And in a few days, he turned really sour. And he was thinking... I should be by the window. And it upset him so bad that he, he grew worse, and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with him, and we know what was wrong. The green-eyed monster had a hold of him. It had sunk all of its claws and his teeth in him, and he couldn't get loose from it. So here's what happened. One night, as he laid and stared at the ceiling, he heard the guy beside him start to choke, and he, and he knew that he was in trouble, but he didn't do anything. And the guy was trying to get to the button, you know, where you push to have... Somebody come in and help you, and he didn't, and he coughed and choked, and he finally lay still. In the morning, when the nurse came in to give him their baths, they saw that he had expired during the night, and they quietly took him out of the room, and um, he asked, can I be moved by the window? And they did, and they moved him by the window, and he, he, was just, he just couldn't hardly wait, and he raised himself up on one elbow, and he looked out, and it was a blank wall. Charles Swindoll writes this. Like an anger-blind, half-starving rat prowling in the foul-smelling sewers below the street level, so is the person caged with the suffocating radius of selfish jealousy. Trapped by resentment and diseased by a rage, he feeds on the filth of his own imagination. End of quote. What a quote that is, huh? You think about in your mind a half-starved rat in the, in the sewers. You, you, you kind of picture it's a, it's a low form of life, we would say. And so is the person caged within the suffocating radius of selfish jealousy. And, and when that comes a part of us, we, we, we create this prison for ourselves. And the sad part about it, we're the only one with the key that could get out of it, trapped by resentment, resentment and diseased by rage, feeds on the filth of our own imagination. We know what we can conjure up in these minds Jealousy, Proverbs 6.34 says, enrages a man. The Hebrew word used for jealousy in the Old Testament was written, kwana, 
which meant to be intensely red. The term was descriptive of one whose face flushed as a sudden flow of blood announced the surge of this great emotion. To demonstrate the grim irony of language, zeal and ardor come from the same word as jealousy. Here is the way that it works. I love something very much, indeed too much. I pursue it with zeal. I desire, in fact, to possess it completely, but the thing I love slips out of my hands and passes into another's. I begin to experience the gnawing pangs of jealousy. Strangely, the feelings of zeal and love begin to change. By the dark, transforming power of sin, my love turns into hate. Once I was open, happy, and filled to the brim with exquisite delight, but no longer now I am closed within a narrow compass of inner rage, intensely and insanely angry. And then it goes into a stage which I call killing mad. When I do premarital counseling, I always ask these young people that's getting married, have you seen this person killing mad? Who knows what killing mad looks like? Come on, boy, you guys. I'm gonna <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Jealousy and envy are often used interchangeably, but there's a difference. Envy begins with empty hands, mourning for what it doesn't have. Jealousy is not quite the same. It begins with full hands, but is threatened by the loss of its plenty. This is mine. I'm not going to give it to anybody else. It is the pain of losing what I have to someone else in spite of all my efforts to keep it. Hence the tortured cry of Othello when he fears that he is losing Desdemona. I had rather be a toad and live upon the vapor of a dungeon and keep a corner in the thing I love for others' uses. Also from Othello, Shakespeare says this, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat that it feeds on. The power in that. This was Cain's sin. He was jealous of Abel. He resented God's acceptance of his brother. No doubt his face was red with emotion and his eyes filled with rage as God smiled on Abel's sacrifice. Not until Abel's warm blood poured over Cain's cruel hands did the jealousy subside. He had killed it. In his blind rage, he had killed his brother. Solomon might have well written the epitaph for Abel's tombstone. Jealousy is cruel as the grave it flashes. Its fleshes are fleshes of fire, Song of Solomon 8, 6. You know what the context of this text is? In Proverbs chapter 6, concerning jealousy, it's about adultery. We listen to verses 32 through 35, chapter 6 of Proverbs. Adultery is a brainless act, soul-destroying, self-destructive, Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation run for good. For jealousy detonates rage in a cheated husband. And I think we could say in a cheated wife as well today. While for revenge, he won't make allowances. Nothing you say or pay will make it right. Neither bribes nor reason will satisfy him. Only prayer, only forgiveness, only the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Jealousy detonates rage. It sets off great desire for revenge to get even, to pay back evil with evil. That's how the old nature thinks, and that's what he feeds into our lives if we're not careful. Why is the cheated 
on spouse enraged because something sacred, something precious, something holy, something so intimate, which is supposed to be kept within the confines of marriage and marriage only, has been stolen. It's been desecrated and it's been soiled. Betrayed, the cheated, cheated on spouse, or the cheating spouse has given an intimate piece of themselves away that can never be recovered. That piece of themselves is gone forever. That is why I incessantly say, this says, God says, all sex outside of marriage is blatant sin and no one should do it. What a world we have created. What, what a world we have created for our young people where sex is not a big deal. Eh, whatever, it's like having a glass of tea or whatever. No, it's not. It's a piece of yourself that you'll never get back. And there are people that's given themselves away so much, there's nothing left of them. That's the problem. We, we, gotta, we gotta say it. We gotta speak it. We gotta live it. Because it's become a huge problem in this country. You cannot tell me if you have a spouse that have slept with numerous partners that when you meet that person on the street, it doesn't bother you. I'll call you a liar. I don't believe it. It's, it's too intense for us to see that. So that it, it, it's got to be part of our message as the church. The church has got to speak out on that. We have to speak in this into the lives of our children. You cannot do that because if you do, you will regret it and God will hold it against you. you we have to see that. I can't, I can't make it any more clear. And the problem is all of us are guilty. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. We've been there. We can't go back. But brothers and sisters, we can go forward. We can go forward. We can't go back, but we can go forward. Who cares about the past? It's been forgiven. You've got to move on, but you better be sure you watch them steps now, today. That is the point. This terrible it, it, jealousy and it's, adultery is an age-old problem. And it did start with the first family. Cain killed his brother because of this green-eyed monster. This terrible bitterness and jealousy is reflected in the Old Testament law given to Moses by Almighty God himself on Sinai. This, I've read this passage before, but it's been a long time. I usually don't go back and read the law, because I do believe, as we make the excuse sometimes, well, you know what? That Old Testament doesn't apply to me. Yeah, it does, to a degree. God set the stage. And what, reading the Old Testament, when I get in the law, what that does for me, it makes me praise God for the age of grace. It makes me praise God that God came down here in human form to set me free and let me live in grace, which I take advantage of sometimes. But we gotta get, we gotta get beyond that. Romans number five, chapter five, it's a long passage, but I want you to bear with me. This is some really wild reading, actually. God spoke to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, say a man's wife go off and have an affair and is unfaithful to him by sleeping with another man, but her husband knows nothing about it, even though she has defiled herself. And then even though there was no witness and she wasn't caught in the act, feelings of jealousy came over the husband and he suspects that his wife is impure. In, in my, and, and this is Eddie's thinking, in my mind, sex is the place the only place where two souls actually touch. It's that intimate. God made it that intimate. And that's why I think within the, the confines of marriage, when the, when the other one has done something, and, and it might not be something as, as heinous as adultery, but you sense something. I, I think that's the whole point about being soulmates. 
Even if she's innocent and his jealousy and suspicions are grounded, groundless, he is to take his wife to the priest. He must also take an offering of two quarts of barley flour for her. He is to pour no oil on it or mix incense with it because it is a grain offering for jealousy, a grain offering for bringing guilt out into the open. You imagine us doing this now in this day and age. The priest then is to take her and have her stand in the presence of God. He's to take some holy water in a pottery jar and put some dust from the floor of the dwelling in the water. After the priest has her stand in the presence of God, he is to uncover her hair and place the exposure offering in her hands, the grain offering for jealousy while he holds the bitter water that delivers a curse. Then the priest will put the woman under oath and say, if no man has slept with you and have not had an adulterous affair and become impure while married to your husband, may this bitter water that delivers a curse not harm you. But if you have had an affair while married to your husband and have defiled yourself by sleeping with a man other than your husband, here the priest puts the woman under this curse. May God cause your people to curse you and revile you when he makes your womb shrivel and your belly swell. Let this water that delivers a curse enter your body so that your belly swells and your womb shrivels. Then the woman shall say amen and amen. The priest is to write these curses on a scroll and then wash the words off with bitter water. He then is to give the woman the bitter water that delivers a curse. This water will enter her body and cause acute pain. The priest then is to take from her hands a handful of the grain offering for jealousy, wave it before God, bring it to the altar. The priest then is to take a handful of the grain offering, use it as an exposure offering, and then burn it on the altar. After this, he is to make her drink the water. If she has defiled herself in being unfaithful to her husband when she drinks the water that delivers a curse, it will enter her body and cause acute pain. Her belly will swell and her womb shrivel. She will be cursed among her people. But if she has not defiled herself and is innocent of impurity, her name will be cleared and she will be able to have children. This is the law of jealousy in a case where a woman goes off and has an affair and defiles herself while married to her husband or her husband is tormented with feelings of jealousy because he expects his wife. The priest is to have her stand in the presence of God and go through the entire procedure with her. The husband will be cleared of all wrong, of wrong, but the woman will pay for her wrong. So a lot of dynamics to this passage because we're saying, man, that's, that's Old Testament. It doesn't apply today. But as we read it, a couple of other things come to my mind. One is that the women would say, well, that's not fair. The, the guy's getting off. Like I said, I didn't write the Old Testament, but it, it does appear that way. But as a female... I do believe that you understand the point that Jesus came not to abolish this law, but to complete it. And he looks at you in a whole different way. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, in Christ, we're all the same. And as Billy Graham said, that the ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. Male, free, bond, or slave, it doesn't matter. We're all the same in Christ. And, and Women today, you know, as, a, as we look at, the, look at the faith and we look at the church, God has gifted you to certain roles. Yeah, there's certain roles God has spelled out in here, but every person breathing in the body of Christ is just as important as the other. I can't, I can't make that any more clear. And to praise Christ for making you equal and not keeping you down here, but putting, it, putting you here. Thus reads the law of God, which stood for centuries as Israel's guide. Then God stopped communicating for 400 years after the book of Malachi. And 
Jesus showed up, God was skin on. We whom have, we whom have been blessed and privileged to live in the age of grace, which is the church age, can and should say with a very loud and hearty amen that we do not live under the law and such laws as grain offerings. Christ came to change that. I want us to contrast that Numbers passage from the law with a passage of grace from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love never gives up. Love, love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Quite a contrast, don't you think? Which would you prefer to live under this morning? I'm going to pick grace. I wouldn't want to be that priest that's going to have to bring that woman in for that grain offering. <laughs> no way, man. I imagine you'd get the look pretty bad before that day was over. But uh, jealousy, green-eyed monster, rears its ugly head and has countless other issues than adultery, doesn't it? Things that sometimes we should probably see as trivial. Your best friend wears size zero and complains that it's too big on her. Your next door neighbor's driving a Mercedes and you can barely make it to the end of your driveway. Your sister headed for a long vacation in the Caribbean. You can't even get to Indy. Jealous? Who wouldn't be? And the list goes on. Other areas. I, I know families where jealousy has come in that brothers and sisters, they don't, they don't speak to each other ever. Well, you know, my, my grandma gave my sister more than she gave me. and So now I'm going to be mad. I'm going to hate her. I'm not going to talk to her. I'm, I see her on the street, I'm going to turn my head, and I'm, I'm not going to wave. And That's what jealousy does. And that's, it does it in family. It does it in the social arena of school and at friends. And the sad thing about it, it does it in church. Sure, there are times when everyone else seems to have more, to do more, look better, but is really that the case? Jealousy may reflect a person's view of him or herself, says Joanne Y., Ph.D. professor of education at Temple University. It's more about how people feel about themselves and whether they're confident about who they are, about who they are. That is why we talk and preach so much about know who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you, but it's hard for us to get that in here and in here. We got to be concerned of what Christ thinks of us, what God the Father sees us. He sees you as special. He sees you as gifted. He sees you as, as having a purpose on this earth. We've got to keep that in mind constantly because if you don't, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they'll, 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 they'll try to convince you of otherwise. For many, jealousy has to do with personal relationships. You might become jealous, for example, if you feel your partner's not paying enough attention to you. Jealousy might also be provoked by your partner or spouse consistently making you feel uncomfortable through both their words and their actions. White says, in any relationship, trust and mutual respect are essential to keep the relationship flourishing and communication strong. A person who has a poor self-image may feel threatened and believe that they have nothing to offer to keep someone else interested. Most jealousy arises when someone feels insecure and threatened. So we always got to remember how God sees us, not how other people see us. And how he sees us is most important. Because remember this, my friends, 
There will always be someone out there who is more beautiful, more handsome, more talented, more successful. But so what? That's what we need to say. Can you say that with me on the count of three? But so what? One, two, three. But so what? That, that's what we, we need to say. When, when that green-eyed monster uh, raises its ugly head, that's, that's, that's what we need to say. And, and we need to go to Christ and go in prayer and say, man, Lord, thank you for making me me. And never like the Pharisees, a man, not, thanks for not making me like that other guy. Parents, you've got a big task if you have young children ahead of you. Because they mimic you, everything you say and everything you do, you are imparting your life into theirs. If you're jealous, if you're jealous of other people, and you talk about that around the dinner table, if you eat dinner together, if you talk about it in your house, then kids are going to pick up on that. Man, I, I got a lot of stories about that, what, what we say in front of our children. I knew a family one time that about every, every day they went home on Sundays and had the preacher for lunch. They, 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 they pointed out his, the, the critical things about him and his family. And this boy grew up a little bit and had some problems. And the pastor called his dad and said, can I be able to help him? He said, no, pastor, we've had you for lunch so much that he has absolutely no confidence in you. This clip kind of brings it out a little bit about how jealousy can affect a child. Let's watch. Are you all right? I knew where I was all the time. <laughs> we found him in the zoo. The zoo. Hold his hand, don't let him out of your sight. Jackie, I am so sorry. I'm gonna say this one time, so listen carefully. That woman is to have nothing more to do with my children. Our children. Do you realize what could have happened to your son? How lucky we are that the police found him instead of some lunatic. I mean, they could... Jackie, you don't have to make it any worse. Isabel is sorry. She feels terrible. Could have happened to anyone. Not to me. You've made mistakes. People make mistakes. Well, I am not going to sit here and wait for the next one. I'm not going to watch our children fall through the cracks Jackie, of this arrangement. Just calm okay? down. We don't no, do I'm that. not going to yes, calm down. I'm going down. to a lawyer. But don't do that. We promised we'd never do that. Well, we've broken a lot of promises, haven't we, Luke? Don't take this out on him. It's, it's my fault. Just... Honey, I'm so... Sorry, but you're not making this any easier on anybody. It is not my job to make it easier for you. It is my job to take care of those children, and they don't want to be with you. I'm getting a court order, and you are never going to be with these children again alone. Do you understand? Ever. That was your fault, but it's her fault for not taking care of my precious son as if it was her priority, which means her most important job. Isabel's job is she works. Bad mommies work too. They work very hard. In fact, I work harder as a mommy than I ever did when I had an outside job. I just don't get paid. Does Isabel make a lot of money? Well, people like Isabel who think only about themselves often do make a great deal of money. I think she's pretty. Yeah. You like big teeth? 
Mommy? What, sweetie? If you want me to hate her, I will. If you want me to hate her, I will. Is that something you teach your children? I could weep when I hear our children's mouths. Yeah, I, I get the picture. Trophy wife gets rid of his other wife and children, marries this younger woman. I understand that. I, I real how, how, how terrible that is. But she was jealous, I'm sure, of that woman. But without realizing that what transference was going on there as she transferred that bitterness and that hatred in, into that child, that sweet, innocent child. <laughs> you want me to hate her. It's a result of the green-eyed monster. And we all are on the same page here this morning. You're, you're not going to tell me you've never been jealous. It's unhuman. This is who we are. It's what Satan feeds and the old nature continues to tell us. Anyone who has experienced or, or experienced deliverance from this damnable parasite knows only too well the effect of its damages. Jealousy will decimate a friendship, dissolve a romance, destroy a marriage. It will shoot tension through the ranks of professionals. It will nullify unity on a team. It will ruin a church. It will separate preachers. It will foster competition in the choir, in the band, bringing bitterness, finger-pointing among talented instrumentalists and capable singers. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And Satan is dancing with delight. He's happy about it. He wants to destroy what's on this stage, every facet of it. And he works tirelessly to do that. With squinting eyes, jealousy will question motives and deplore another success. You know what? I'm not happy you can play a guitar better than me or sing better than me. I think I'm better than you. It will become severe, suspicious, narrow, and negative. And I know what I'm saying. This, this green-eyed monster has visited me on more than one occasion. And the master of it's no more Satan himself. The problem, he is subtle, and sometimes his voice is soft and almost reassuring. That's the scary part about it. I have witnessed jealousy destroy gifted music teams in churches, gifted staff. I've seen churches split, destroying their witness in their community because of some mindless act of jealousy. And I have to be totally honest with you. When my brother, Pastor Jeff, came on board, jealousy showed up in my house, speaking with the voice of the great deceiver. People's going to like Jeff the more they like you. People's going to like his preaching more than yours. Blah, 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 blah. Lie after lie after lie. But I didn't buy it. <laughs> I have confessed and asked God to forgive me and to cleanse me from them unholy thoughts. I mean, I love this brother. And God has given us a great gift in him and Belinda and his family. We need, and I embraced him. And 
What an asset you are, brother, to God's kingdom, and we make a great team. Kurt and Steve and Chris and Tracy and all of us put here together. We're, all, we're not here by chance. This band's not on this stage. Those gentlemen behind that soundboard, they're not there by chance. God has gifted them, and, I, and God's using their gifts. We're, we're a team here. But don't, don't, don't ever think we're, we, we, we're safe. Because he's, he's constantly working to destroy us, and he has tried on numerous occasions. I don't know if you remember, Randy and Karen probably remember in the beginning, first, first few months, a new reporter came from the paper down here and put in the paper, well, we started this new church on the square, and Pastor Eddie, he's, he's not preaching from the Bible. I don't know, maybe it's Dr. Seuss, the next sermon's green eggs and ham. I don't know, but it, if you don't use the, I mean, it's just bizarre, so I had to go down and get that retracted. And I, and I could go on for a while, some of the things that's been said and what has happened, but we just kept trying to focus on Christ, and he's got us where we're at today. You have jealousy issues this morning? Like I said, we're all, it's part of us. You know, you think about work and go, man, oh, man, I should have got that job. I've worked harder than them. I've been here longer. Or somebody goes around you at school and it gets something. And I, and I, can, I can go on and on about that. It's got to be dealt with, friends, because if you don't, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy faith. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy your family, destroy relationships, and it can destroy a church. And right now is... Uh, we close. I just, I just want you to be honest with God. And that's, that's all we ask every Sunday at this time. Is just you just listen to the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. If he inspires you to come up here and be prayed with, come on up because we love you. And like I said before, it's an inspiration to see people pray. <laughs> pray where you're at if you want, but nonetheless, I, I, just, want you to, I just want you to be honest with God. I, I want us to leave free today. So you can go and have the rest of your day and, and be free, totally free. No nagging, no biting, nothing going on in your life. Just, just total peace through Christ. So, Lord, I, I pray for these folks. I pray for myself as well. I pray, God, as you speak to us, Holy Spirit, that we're dishonest. If we need to confess something, we just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You do. If there's somebody in here we need to talk to and make peace with, we need to do that. We just need to come up and pray for somebody else. That's fine too, Lord. So right now, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. For we ask it in the precious name of Christ. Amen.